We're going to continue to learn about prevailing prayer, and prevailing prayer just means prayer that gets answered. While we're turning that, I want to tell you what we're not talking about because there are different types of prayer. Well, let's pick up if you're anywhere, if you're there yet. Verse 13, if anyone among you is suffering, let him pray. So he's telling him things to do in different situations. Uh, if anyone's cheerful, let him sing psalms. If anyone among you is sick, let him call for the elders of the church. Let them, let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord, and the prayer of faith will save the sick. Not the oil, but the prayer of faith will save the sick. Because some teach that it's, that oil there is a medicinal oil, medicinal oil, that they used oil in those days to kind of as a medicine, and that's really what James is talking about. But he doesn't say that the oil healed them. It's the prayer of faith that healed them. And the prayer of faith will, will save the sick. That word save means to heal. And the Lord will raise you up, raise him up. And if he's committed sins, they'll be forgiven. So it's a complete package. Confess your trespasses or faults to one another. Pray for one another that you may be healed. And this is the part we're looking at. The effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much or produces results. The Bible teaches different types of prayer. There's a prayer of consecration, where, which is what you hear Jesus pray in the garden when he says, not my will be done, but your will be done. There's a, prayer of, um, there, there's a prayer of just worship, just being in God's presence, of just telling God you love him and just sitting and being with him. Um, there's a prayer for, of faith where you're receiving something uh, that God has promised for you, and that's included in this. But then there's a prayer of intercession where you're praying for somebody else and for their situation and for their needs. And there are different principles that these work by, and there's some principles that they all have in common. And that's what we started to look at, the principles. But before I do that, I just want to mention again that what he says here is the type of prayer that prevails much is effectual, fervent prayer. What we studied before, that's just one word in the Greek. And that word is the Greek word energeo, from which we get the word energy. And it's not referring to how you pray. Because I used to read that for most of my Christian life. I'd read that and I've read people's commentaries on it that it means hot and fervent. And, but in the Greek, that's not what it means. Fervent may mean that in English, but that's not what it means in Greek. What it means in Greek is that it, it itself is working as you do it. And I read some definitions for you. And I'm not going to go back over those. But what he's talking about is the prayer that produces much is the prayer, the, the prayer that's working. What we're going to learn is when you pray according to these principles, it's working. And the problem is most of us quit before we see the results. But we're going to learn that when you, start, when you pray, that prayer starts working. And we've got to learn to pray by faith so that we see those prayers working, not with these natural eyes, but with the eyes of faith. And so that's what we looked at before. And then we began to look at, I think last week, these certain principles of prayer. We talked a week before that about that they're not rules. Because rules, if you follow the rules, you expect, to, you, 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 you expect if I do all the right things, because I've done all the right things, I'm going to get results. And when we st- began the study, we looked in Matthew 6, and we'll look again there tonight. And we saw that Jesus said, that's not how prayer is answered. He says, the Gentiles pray that way. The Gentiles believe that their prayers are going to get answered because of how often they pray. In other words, the the way they pray is what determines whether their prayers are going to get answered. And what we saw is the focus of all that is on me. Am I praying the right way? Am I using the right technique? Am I supposed to pray on my knees? Am I supposed to pray standing? Am I supposed to pray looking up? Am I supposed to pray looking down? Am I spoke to, I just was, when Tony Cook was here, he was talking to me about a gentleman that had been teaching for years, and he began to just get a little off track, and he got into this doctrine about whether, what kind of things you can pray to the Father directly, and what kind of things you've got to pray to Jesus. And, I mean, he became legalistic about this, and, and it, as a result, it, just, it created confusion. And, and, it's, this is not that complicated. You know, it's not, it's not that complicated because prayer is just talking to God who's listening and already wants to answer. And so what that's subtly doing is it's focusing on, am I doing this the right way? And that's what Jesus is saying in Matthew chapter 6. That's the, what the Gentiles do because they've got no covenant relationship with God. They've got to base their trust in what they're doing. And re- realize the enemy is always opposing you when you pray. And one of his methods of opposing you is to get you to think about how you're praying. Because when you're thinking about how you're praying, you're not thinking about the God to whom you're praying. It's a very subtle distinction, but it's very important. 
So when we looked at that before, when we looked at this is from the context that this has got to be fervent in the sex, you know, you've got to be flush in the face and spitting and yelling and, you know, screaming, and that's what fervent prayer is. That's putting confidence in how I'm doing it. And what we're going to learn is that's not what the Bible teaches us to do. So let's go now and let's look at what the Bible does tell us to do. We're looking at the first principle, not rule, principle. There are principles in life which are truths. And these principles are basically a fact of how we receive things that God has prepared for us. So let's go back to chapter 1 of James. And we looked at this last time. Verse 5. If any of you lacks wisdom, he's talking about something that you don't have, that you lack, that you're going to ask God for, let him ask of God who gives to all, say all, All. he gives to all liberally, generously, without reproach. This is going to become important for us. And it will be given to him. But let him ask in faith. So here's the first principle. Let him ask in faith with no doubting. And we looked at the word doubt last time and saw that it's the Greek word diakrino, which means to be of two minds about something. And you saw me up on the stage rocking back and forth between the two minds. I've asked of God. The Bible says that if I ask him, he'll give it to me. So I believe I have the answer. And then I wake up tomorrow morning and I don't feel the way I did today. And now I'm questioning whether I do or not. And we go from one mind about it to another mind about it. And what we saw is we do that because in neither of those two minds are we standing on God's word because God's word never changes. When we go back and forth, that's a sign. I never saw that until last week. But that's an indication. It's a symptom that even when I think I'm trusting God, I'm not trusting His Word. Somehow I'm trusting in what my senses tell me. And we talked about, you know, a good example of this is you're standing in faith for, some phys- for a physical healing and, the, and you, you get a good report back from the doctor saying, you know what, there's progress, you're getting better. And the very subtle danger, I've seen this happen over and over again, is people that were standing on God's word now come back and say, Pastor, I got a good report. The doctor said that the cancer's going away or, or the condition's reversing or whatever it is. My levels are coming to where they're supposed to be. Oh, praise God. And I, I, I know it's likely to happen because now what's going to happen is they step off of God's word And now they begin to trust in that report they got from the doctor. And now you're back in Satan's realm. Because he can can influence those results. And so when we go back and forth, it's usually because even when we think we're trusting God, somewhere we're we're trusting in something that our senses are telling us. But notice what he says. You must ask in faith with no doubting, not little doubting. Now here's an important thing. We're going to learn that there's two places you can doubt. You can doubt in your mind, and you can doubt in your heart. And you can be doubting in your mind and believing in your heart. On the other token, same token, you can be believing in your, doubting in your heart and believing in your mind. And that's where many people are. But ask in faith with no doubting. He who doubts is like the wave of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. Let not that man suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He's a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. Let me tell you what that does not say. That does not say that when, you were, when we're doubting, that God's going to punish us and withhold what we're asking. Because I think that's how people read it. That if I'm doubting, then God's going to withhold from me until I get in faith. What we're going to learn is the Bible teaches us God's already given it. Faith is not what convinces... Faith doesn't move God. Faith positions you to receive what God's already given. Because God's not holding anything back. And what we're going to begin to learn tonight is about this character and nature of the God to whom we're making this request. Let not that man suppose he will receive anything from the Lord. Notice what it doesn't say. It doesn't say, let not that man think God will give anything to them. I want you to look at that verse, verse 7. It does not say, let not that man think God will answer his prayers. But that's so often how we read it. The condition is, i got to ask in faith. If I don't have enough faith, God won't give it to me. That's how we so often think. But that's not what it says. It says, if you don't ask in faith, and if you're doubting, because they're mutually exclusive... You can't be asking in faith and doubting. 
Let that not that let not that man suppose he will receive anything from the Lord. Receiving's not God's end. Receiving's our end. I had a time a while ago where where and we've had this problem in the office sometimes where something goes wrong with our email system. And I got people say, Well, I sent you an email. And I say, But I never received it. They sent it. So it wasn't an issue on their end. It was an issue on our end. So it wasn't, I didn't get an answer to my question because they were mad at me and held back the email. They sent the email. It's just off there somewhere in cyberspace, <laughs> wherever that may be. But the, but the issue is because of a problem with our system, I didn't receive what they sent. Now look at this verse again. These little words, these little thoughts form images in our mind that affect our ability to receive from God and we don't realize it because we read the verse quickly and we go on to the next verse or we go on to the next principle and we don't realize we've gotten misinformation in here. There's a glitch in the program. There's a, there's a virus in there that's converting or perverting the information. And this becomes, as we learned in Renewing the Mind, this becomes a filter to everything else we're learning on Sunday morning, or we have been learning, that the image we have of God affects how well we can receive anything from Him. And that's what we're going to hopefully get into tonight and look at, or begin to look at. But even the beginning here, let that man expect to receive anything, not God give it to them. Why? Why is it? Why can't? Why do we? Shouldn't we not expect that we're going to receive anything from the Lord? So notice, he's not just talking about wisdom anymore. Here's the answer in verse eight. He is a double-minded man, not God. When we doubt, because that's what the word means. The word doubt means double-minded. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. And in order to receive something that you can't see, in order to receive something from God, you've got to be still in a position so that you can receive it. Remember back when they, and they probably, I don't know, I guess they're not doing it anymore. But when they would send the, um, I know they're not doing it, when they would send the astronauts to the moon, remember the process? Because I remember when they first did it, they showed these models, and now they have it all, had it all computerized probably the last time they do it. But the, 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 the rocket ship takes off from Cape Canaveral, where it is, and then it leaves the booster rockets behind. And then you have the, the command capsule, and behind it you had the lunar module. Remember this? All right. And then they had a stage when they got to the moon where what they would do is they would release the lunar module, and they would turn one of them around, so that they would go into a process called docking. And they needed to dock correctly, and they, the, the computer was guiding them out. You know, here they are, what are 250,000 miles out in space, going how many thousands of miles an hour, and they're trying to, they're trying to connect these two space vehicles, and, 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 and they need to connect it just right, so that when they do, they can secure them to each other, open the hatch and the lunar landing team with their equipment can go from the command module into the lunar module. Remember that? In other words, they've got to take what's already in the command capsule, this designed to go into the lunar capsule module, and the only way it's going to get from the command capsule to the lunar is to go through this passageway into the lunar module. Are you with me so far? Okay, all right, okay. I know it's not, it's not rocket science, is it? <laughs> That's what I get for not wearing my coat tonight. Yeah, so I'm going to take this thing off. <laughs> I'll get in trouble. <laughs> I may be worse without it. And so, here, just listen to the words we're talking about. In order to do that, in order to get the, the two men from the command capsule into the lunar module, they have to dock. If something happens so that the lunar module or the command module start moving where they're not supposed to, 
and become unstable, now it's impossible to connect the two so that you can pass from the command module into the lunar module, or let's put it this way, so that the lunar module can receive from the command module what's intended to go into the lunar module. It's not because the commander of the command module is angry and says, I'm not going to send the team in there. He can't send them in there because if he tried to, they'd go off into outer space somewhere. So in order for him to physically communicate or send one to the other, they have to be joined together in a way that they can be transferred. And if one of them is unstable, that connection cannot be made. All right? That's what James is talking about. Because when we're double-minded, we're not in a position to receive what's already been given to us. But if you don't understand that, you think, if I don't learn to believe enough, if I don't get enough faith, God's withholding it from me, which is the very thing that's holding your faith back. Because we're going to see tonight, faith is based on having confidence that God's given it. So if I think I've got to do the right things before God's given it, I've lost already. All right, now go with me to, I've never taught that before. Go with me to, um, I may take without my suit, go more often. Let's go, where were, I got to go to my notes, I've lost, all right. Let's go to Mark 11, which is where we left off last time. We looked at last time, and I'm not going to go back over that, but I'll remind you of it, because it was, again, it was just, it really made it, it's, it's, it's these things, well, I better go on. Jesus is, walking, coming from out of Bethany, and says he's hungry. And he sees that the fig tree has no fruit, and he simply says, let no one eat fruit from you forevermore. He, notice he's not hot and passionate. He's not screaming and yelling. He's not angry at the tree. He's not casting demons out of the tree. He just says, let no man eat fruit of you again. Kind of like the father when he said, let there be light. And he just keeps on going. Well, they come back out the next morning and Peter says, Master, Jesus walked by the tree, which we see was withered from the roots up. It's, it's over like this. Jesus walks on by it while he's not shocked that it happened. But Peter's amazed. He says, Master, the fig tree that you cursed, look, it's withered from the roots up. Now Jesus sees this as a teaching opportunity. And I mentioned to you last week, I've read commentaries that give all kinds of... Per- parables that this fig tree was a parable of, of Israel that was had no fruit in it and all this stuff. It's what it says. It's as a teaching example Jesus used to teach them in essence, not in essence, literally, to do what he just did. That's what's going on here. Jesus, they're marveling at what he did and he said, well, wait a minute, you can do the same thing. Let me teach you how, let me teach you the principles by which I did this, which if you follow that principle, It'll work for you also. Okay. We're down to verse 20 now. Well, we're going to go down to verse 22. This is the key. This is where so many people skip. They start at verse 23 and 24, but the key is in verse 22. Jesus answered and said to them, Have faith in God. That's the foundation for it all. We looked earlier at, at, the, at, the, at the beginning of prayer is understanding that we're talking to a God who's our Father, who already knows what we need. He's studied us. He's aware of us. He cares about us. He wants to meet our need. He's waiting for us to ask. And it's important to understand that's who you're asking. And so he says, have faith in God. Now, literally in the Hebrew... It says, have faith of God, which is another way of saying the same thing. Most translations will say, have faith in God. And then he goes on and tells us how he did it. He said, whosoever shall say unto this mountain, be thou taken up and cast in the sea, and shall not doubt in his heart, 
but believe that what he said shall come to pass. He shall have whatsoever things he saith. And we'll go on and look at verse 24 later. So the beginning of all of this, the foundation of having, how can I have confidence that if I speak to a mountain and tell it to be cast into the sea, why would I have faith to believe that's going to happen? And why would I have a reason not to doubt that that's going to happen? Because I can't, with my own words, tell them anything to move. I can't tell people to move. (laughs) You can't try to tell your children to move when they don't want to. You don't have, your words can't make something move. Now, if you've developed an authority with people, they'll respect that authority or fear that authority, but your, your words alone do not have any power to do anything except express what you happen to be thinking at the time. Right? Okay. But Jesus is telling them, here's what you're to do. And this is what people struggle with this so much. We're going to see as we go through Jesus' examples of prayers that most of the time we call Jesus praying for things, he's not talking directly to the Father. He's speaking to the situation. And we would say, well, that's Jesus, but he's telling them to do the same thing. Well, that's the apostles, then why is it in there for us? If that's just for the apostles, then why is it in there? Because if it's just for the apostles, it's a nice historic story for us to read. But then how do we know what else is in there for us and what else isn't in there for us? Because once, once you start choosing some things that don't apply to us, then how do you do that? What standard do you use to say, well, this is not for us, this was just for their age? How do you start drawing that standard? Because the Bible doesn't give you a way to do that. That's man's idea. Man's traditions, which in most cases is to excuse why we're not getting results. Oh, that was popular. Well, here it may be. There's some places that's not popular at all. And we'll deal with that. We'll talk about it. All right. But here's Jesus using this as an example to teach them. And so what is he saying to them? Whosoever. See, oh, that word. Whosoever. 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 Let me tell you what whosoever means. Whosoever. Whosoever means it's up to you whether you're included or not. Whosoever means it's available to anybody if they choose it. Well, that can't mean that here. Well, if it doesn't mean it here, then how do we know it means it in John 3.16? It's the same word in Greek. Whosoever shall believe on him shall not perish. We, whosoever there means anybody, the whole world, unless you believe, you know, in Calvinism or something like that. But the whole world is for Christ. He died for the whole world. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. We don't have any problem believing that. Whosoever means anybody that wants to can come. But it's the same word here. So it has to have the same meaning unless Jesus said otherwise. And he didn't. So that means this can apply to us also. Whosoever shall say to that mountain, Be thou taken up and cast into the sea, and shall not doubt in his heart, but believe that what, this is the key, believe that what he said shall come to pass. But on what basis do we have to believe that? In most cases, it's not because we have so much confidence in our own word. Why would I have confidence to believe that because I speak to something, it's going to happen? The only confidence I can have is because he says to do it. And the key is in verse 22. Have faith in God. Jesus knew something, more than something, but he knew something about his father that they didn't know. He already talked to them about it in Matthew chapter 6 when he says, don't you know that your father knows what you need before you pray? Don't you know that? Isn't that obvious? Because to him it was, because he knew his father. He knew his character and he knew his nature. So Jesus is saying here, there's something about the Father's nature 
that ought to give you, you confidence doubt, that you can have absolute confidence that it'll move into the sea. So what we're going to do is we're going to look at some of God's characteristics as why we should have confidence in Him. We're going to look at His character, some things about Him, about His nature is probably a better word. So let's go to... Um, Let's go to Matthew, but we've already talked about it. You don't have to go there, but I'm referring again to Matthew 6, where Jesus said about him, don't you know your father already knows what you need before you ask? So we've learned what that tells us something about the father. That tells us, first of all, he cares. Because somebody that knows what you need cares about you. Not only that, he's been paying attention to you and studying. Ladies, you know this. I mean, it took me a while to figure out why it's important to wives that their husbands remember certain dates. Now, I happen to be good with dates. There are other things I'm not so good at. But why, you know, why it means something to my wife that I take initiative with things by remembering things or doing things for her instead of doing them because I'm supposed to. Oh, it's Valentine's Day. Huh? Let's see. Well, I've got to come up with something today. What are we going to do? Denny, what are we going to do? What are you going to do? I don't know what to do. I hate this, boy. All right, I'm going to get some candy. Here's the candy. I've fulfilled my obligation. Well, I did it. What's wrong? How come you're looking? She doesn't do this. But how come you're looking at me this way? I got you the candy. I got your card. There it is. I did what I'm supposed to do. It doesn't cut it, does it, ladies? Because it's not the candy you're really looking at. I mean, maybe. But I mean, you know... It's not the three-carat diamond ring you were looking for. <laughs> it helps. <laughs> but what means something, when, when your husband or wife, it goes, can go both ways, when your spouse remembers something on their own, when they've taken the initiative, that means they've been paying attention to you enough to notice you have a desire. That's even better, guys. If it's something you just hear them desire and you go ahead and take care of it? Wow, that'll, that'll, that, why? Because it tells them you've been paying attention to them. You're not just doing this because you have to. They matter to you enough that you've been thinking about them. You've been observing them. You've been watching them so that when you do it out of that motive and what that's communicated, that's what that communicates. That's what Jesus is saying. You can learn something about the Father's heart towards you by the fact that He knows what you desire. He knows what you need. He's paying attention to you, ready to meet it. It's that same dynamic, except much more. So that's the opening salvo. That's the threshold into this question about what God is like when it comes to prayer. And that's what Jesus starts with. Let's look at something else. Let's go over to 1 John chapter 5. Verse 14. Now this is the confidence that we have in him. Oh. So we're going to learn from the Apostle John that we can have confidence in God. And what's the confidence that we can have in him? John knew something about God his Father because John spent much time in prayer. There is a tradition out there that when they went to bury the Apostle John, that his knees were so calloused, they were like rocks, because he'd spent so much time on his knees. He knew his Father. He knew his Heavenly Father. He had a vision into heaven in Revelation, the book of Revelation. He knew his Father's character. He knew the Son, and he was the most intimate of the, of the disciples with the Son. He knew his Son's character, and Jesus said, if you know me, you know the Father. So John has, towards the end of his life in ministry, he has learned a confidence in his father, something about God, something about his father, and this is the confidence that he had in him. Confidence by experience, confidence through relationship. And this is the confidence that we have in him, have faith in God, have confidence in him. That if we ask anything 
according to his will. We'll talk about that later. That's not the big issue that it sounds like. If we ask anything, if we ask anything, if we ask anything, if we ask anything, if we ask anything. I've read, you know, God will answer prayers for other people, but he won't answer prayers that you ask for yourself. If you ask anything that's in accordance with his will, that means, and I'll kind of give you a little glimpse of it, that doesn't mean that God has a list of five things and you've got to hit one of those five things. That's talking about a range of his will. And as long as what you're asking him is within the range of his will, this is what he's talking about. And we'll talk later on about what the range of that will is. It's very broad, and it's not hard to find. It's not some mysterious thing. Oh, I don't know if it's God's will or not. It's very easy to find out. This is the confidence that we have in him, that if we ask anything within the boundaries of his will, we know two things. First of all, he hears us. Well, I don't know if God's listening or not. You're going to learn to grow in prayer, you've got to stop going by what you feel. You've got to start going by what the in manual the, of principles. This is a manual God's given to us so that he can communicate with us and he can answer our prayers. So you just got to look at the manual because the manual tells us what he's like, not our feelings. That if we ask anything within the boundaries of his will, he hears us. So if it's anything, first of all, if it's in his word, it's in the boundaries of his will. So if you ask anything that his word says is yours, he hears you. Now there's some very minor conditions on that, like if you're living in sin. But that's not so hard to figure out either. But let's assume you're not doing that for right now. Where most people are, if you ask anything within the boundaries of his will, he hears us. So that's the first thing John learned to have confidence in. I know God hears my prayers. Always hears my prayers. But what good does that do if he just listens? I know some people that you, you, know, you pour your heart out and they listen to it. And they listen to you, mm, yeah. Mm. Well, that's good. That's in you, know, mm, mm. Okay, how, you, you know, some feedback here, you know? What do you think? I mean, you know, what, respond. Well, verse 15 says, and if he hears, we know. Look at it. Look at this. This is astounding. And we know, not hope, we know that he, if, if we know that he hears us, and we know he does if we ask according to his will, Whatever we ask, we know we have, not will have, we have the petition that we have asked of him. So when you pray and God hears your prayer, he doesn't now have to go pray himself about whether he's going to answer it or not. He doesn't go spin some wheel that says yes, no, yes, no, yes, no. He doesn't flip a coin. He doesn't pull out a daisy and says he loves me, he loves me not. He... He's already made up his mind. He's already decided to give it to you. And he's just waiting for you to come and ask. But you've got to ask believing he's going to give it to you or else you're not positioned to receive it. Because your lunar module is not lined up with the command module. So we know this about him. That if he hears me, just hears me, I have the request, not I might have it someday. In his mind, I have it now. Wow. Wow. This is the confidence that we're to have before him based on what he's like, not how I pray, based on knowing now, having an understanding and then a revelation of what God is like, I can have... See, faith is simply confidence in God. That's it. So the way you develop your faith is by looking at Him, not at you. 
am I doing this enough? I don't believe enough. I'm not this enough. I'm not that enough. That's what the enemy did in the garden. That's what he's trying to do today. Because if you keep looking at yourself, subtly that's having faith in you. And you don't have enough to say that mountain move and to be cast into the sea. So the way your faith grows is by continuing to look at him. Hebrews 12, I think it's 3 or 4, says, says that looking unto Jesus, the what? The author and the finisher of our faith. So it's learning to look at him. And what's the best way to look at him? Is to get your face in the book. <laughs> and allow the Spirit to take the Word and begin to reveal Him to you. We're going to talk about how to do that. All right, let's look at another principle here. So his character. Let us, I want to go over this again because this is so profound. This is the confidence that we have in Him. That if we ask anything within the boundaries of His will... He hears us, so he's listening. He's listening to you. He's waiting for you to ask. And we know that if he hears us, we automatically have it. My wife has a special relationship. You've heard me talk about it with our granddaughter. <clears throat> they were spent the night again on Friday night, and my daughter, granddaughter did the same thing again. My wife woke up Saturday morning, and there she was. Emma was staring her in the face. Just looking at her, just waiting for her grandma to wake up. And, and, and our grandkids know this. Now, it's not, it doesn't always happen, but it happens more often than not. They can be in a store somewhere and say, wow, you know, that would be really nice to have. Just this casual comment. And she hears it. And if she hears it, they have it. Now, we're going to see in a few minutes if we, being evil compared to God, know how to give good gifts to our grandkids, how much more does our Father in Heaven know how to give, give good gifts to His children, to those who ask Him? Why does she do that? Because she wants to impress everybody with what kind of grandmother she is? Why does she do it? Because she has an obligation as a grandmother to, take, to, to do those things for her grandchildren? No, it's because of how precious they are to, to her and to me. Because she'll turn to me and she'll say, okay, she knows it's okay. You know? But we just got one last month, that's okay. You know? Whatever they want. You know? But that's God's nature. We have this image, he's stingy. I did a series a long time ago, God's not stingy. I just went through scriptures that talked about he'll do exceedingly abundantly beyond all you ask or think. That if he spared not his own son but delivered us for us all, how will he not also together with him freely give us all things? Who gives to all men generously and without criticizing or upbraiding us. It's all through the Bible. God's held nothing back. But you have to renew your mind to that because that's the God you're asking that's the God you're expecting. to. You don't know whether he's going to back you up when you speak to that situation. You don't know what he's going to back you up when you speak to, to, to some sickness and tell it to go. You don't know what he's going to back you up until you know what he's like. Until you know what he's character like. When you know his nature, which is why Jesus said the key is have faith in God. John says, this is the confidence that I have in him. Because I've learned this about him. That if I ask anything that's within the boundaries of his will. He's heard me because I know he's always listening to me. And I know this about him, that if he's heard me, I have it. Now we're going to learn there can be a delay between when God says you have it and when you physically have it in your hands. And we're going to learn why. And this is where so many people, they break down and they give up and they quit. Because there's a spiritual battle that goes on. Remember, we're transferring something from the command module into the lunar module. And in the prayer realm, there's a spiritual realm in between that it's got to go through. 
to get there. All right, we'll talk more about that down the road. Okay, now let's go and look at another aspect of his character. Let's go to Matthew 7. I just alluded to it, but let's get into it. God's character when it comes to his willingness, his character. What's he, what's he, what's he like? It's kind of like when a child is invited home from school with one of his schoolmates to their house, and this is the first time he's gone there, and uh, he doesn't really know the parents of his friend. And uh, um, he's, he wants something to drink, and he doesn't know whether it's okay to ask the friend's mother for it or not, right? At home, he, does, he knows what he can do. He knows what kind of confidence he has in his parents. He knows what he can ask for freely. He knows how he needs to ask. He knows when he needs to ask. And I taught you last time that, you know, I was the oldest of five boys, and so I was the one that had this figured out more than anybody else because I'd made more mistakes and gotten more, you know, it was trial and error. I'd learned, uh, learned how, to, how, to, how, to, well, how to work mom, <laughs> Well, I was a kid. All right. So the, your, your, your child goes over to his friend's house after school, and, and he's hungry or thirsty, and he wants something, and he doesn't know whether it's okay to ask her for it because he doesn't know her, right? He doesn't know her attitude towards children. He doesn't know her attitude towards her, their child's friends. He doesn't know her attitude towards snacks. He doesn't know her, doesn't know her attitude about things, so he doesn't ask, right? Because he doesn't have confidence because he doesn't know her. So what does he do? He goes to his friend who knows the mother and knows what she's like. Right? We're going to Jesus' friend right now. We've been talking in John, 1 John to Jesus' friend who knows. Now we're going to read the son. We're going to read what the son says about his father. So we may feel as if we're strangers in his kitchen, even though we're children. We're going, to, we're going to talk, we're going to listen now to what the, the natural-born son knows about his father, all right? And we're going to see the confidence that he has, what he tells him, us about him. Verse 7, ask and it will be given to you. Notice the absolute confidence there. Seek and you will find. Now, I can almost hear some people do this. Don't let this thought go in your mind. Yeah, but I've asked and I haven't gotten. We'll talk about that. Because if you keep going back to that, you won't make any progress. Because what you're doing is you're going in a circle. So I told you last time, you've got to take all your past failures, all your past mistakes, even your successes, and just lay them aside, and we're going to allow Jesus to teach us how to pray. Because one of the things you need to, if you're going to a class in school, and those of you that have been through school of ministry have learned this with me, at least I don't, Gordon may have done the same thing, and, and Pastor Michael may have done the same thing. But when I taught a subject about something you would have known something about, the first thing we talked about is what, was, what, was, what it wasn't before we got into what it was. Otherwise, we're not talking about the same thing. And so we've got to kind of forget things that didn't, because otherwise it's going to keep coming. It says ask, but I know, I know it can't mean that because I've asked and I didn't get it. It'll hold you back from going to the next level. So just for this study, I mean, when we're done the study, you can pile all that stuff, all that back unbelief back on if you want to. But for this study, just don't let that thought go into your mind. That thought, yeah, but I know, don't, 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 just don't go there. You can hold off on that for a while, and it will actually help you to hold off on that for a while. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and he who seeks finds, and to him who knocks it will be opened. Look at this. This is another aspect of his character. Or what man among you, who if his son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he, his son, asks for fish, will he, the father, give him a serpent? Now what's he talking about there? He's talking about either tricking your child or, 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 or disappointing your child. There's a commercial, and I don't remember what it's for, and it doesn't matter, where this gentleman in a suit sitting around a table with some kindergartners, and he says, you know, which is, which, which is, if you, you know, which is better if your friend has a wading pool or this Olympic swimming pool? Or, you know, he went through these things, which is, which is obvious which the better things are. And there was one of them where he talks about, you know, if you ask your parents for something and they give you something else, is that better or if they give you what you asked for? And the obvious thing to the kids is if I'm given what I'm asked for, that's what's better. 
kind of like at Christmas time and, you know, your children ask you for this, you know, red rifle, ro- you know, the you know, <laughs> for this toy you've wanted, you desperately wanted, you've, this is what you've longed for, you know, you know, and what they give you is a suit of clothes instead, well, it's better for you. Well, I thank you, it's better for me, but it's not what I asked for. Now, there's some people, many people, that teach that God does that with prayer. That you can ask God for something, but what he'll give you is what he judges better for you. That's not giving you what you asked. And that's not what Jesus said he'll do. Jesus said, if you, if your son asks you for a fish, you're not going to give him a serpent. If he asks you for a loaf of bread, he's not going to give you, you're, you're not going to give him a stone. In other words, you see, because that's answer, that's giving him something, but not giving him what he was asking for. He's teaching us something about his father's nature. His father's nature. The father that we're going to go to and ask to do things. That we need to know some things about what he's like. We need his personality profile. And Jesus, who knows him intimately, is telling us from his experience what his father, our father, is like. We've already seen in this discussion he knows what you need before you ask because he cares about you. Now we're seeing, and if you ask him something, he's not going to trick you and give you something else just to satisfy you and say, well, I answered your prayer. I gave you something. Look what he goes on to say. If you then, being evil, what he means in comparison to God, the Father, if you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children. I mean, parents, do you know how to give good gifts to your children? Do you like giving good gifts to your children? Do you enjoy giving? I mean, I used to do this on Christmas. I love, you know, we had, when the kids were living at home, I would be listening to the kind, what, what, what was the one thing they really wanted? And, 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 and you know, and, and, and I would get it <laughs> most of the time. And, and sometimes I wrestled with it, but I, the last minute I'd go out and get it. And then what I would do, some of you have never heard this before, but because I, would, I, would, I wouldn't, we wouldn't put it under the tree, I'd hide it somewhere else in the house. And I would make a little a note, and I'd leave it somewhere buried in the tree, and it was a clue. And that clue would lead them somewhere else in the house, or maybe outside the house, and then that would lead them somewhere else, and then that would lead them somewhere else, which would eventually lead them to where the present was. And see, was I doing that to torture them? No. I was doing that to enjoy their excitement of receiving this gift that they've wanted. And they got to the point where they stopped looking for presents under the tree. They started looking for the little note somewhere in the tree. And a number of years ago, I had to explain to them, we're in a different phase of life now. (laughs) I've run out of clues. Now, instead of discouraging them, they loved it. Well, I maybe I could ask was one of my sons is here tonight, but I don't dare ask him. But they loved it. At least that's what they told me. <laughs> and so the point is this. I listened to find out, we listened to find out what is it they wanted. And my desire, our desire, was to get that for them and to give that to them. And so this is what Jesus is talking about. If you, being evil compared to God, know how to give good gifts to you, want to give good gifts to your children, look at what it says. How much more? How much more? It's almost like you can hear Jesus asking this question. He's bringing it down to where they lived because most of them were parents. If you know how to give good gifts to your children and you're his child, how much more? Will your heavenly Father give what is good to you, to the good things to those who ask Him? How much more will your heavenly Father give good things to those who ask Him? How much more? 
So we're looking at the heart of God. We've seen here that His heart is such that He looks over us, He's concerned for us, He cares for us, He's watching what we need. He's watching what we desire. He's watching the longings of your heart. He's watching those things. And He's ready to do them. We've seen that, that, that what it requires, though, to receive what He wants to give us is we have to believe He's giving it to us. In order to do that, we have to be stable. We can't be moving all over the place, wondering and doubting back and forth, because then we're not in a position like the lunar module with the command capsule, so that there can be that connection in the spirit, so that he can it can be transferred over to us. You were saved that way, you know. Ephesians two says that you were saved by grace, by faith, by grace through faith. By grace, grace was the gift that God gave you, but it's received through the conduit of faith. Faith is the connection with the spirit realm that allows what's in the spirit realm for you, already existing, to be transferred into the reality of this realm, which is why we have to be in that position of actually believing it's ours because otherwise we're not stable enough to receive it. Not for him to give it, for us to receive it. And then we've seen that what that faith comes from knowing what he's like, knowing his nature, his disposition, his attitude. One of the things we'll see next week, we won't get into it this week, but God is not like you and me. He doesn't have moods. Do you have some days that are just better than others? Oh, come on, you're human. Some of you may have more extremes than others, but, but you know, we have some days where we just, you know, I want to do... We have some days where we feel generous and maybe some days where we're not feeling quite so generous. And what we do is we assume God's like that. And we're going to learn next week that he's not. There's more about his character we're going to look at next week. We're looking at his heart this week. Now we're going to begin to look at some things just about the way he functions and just the essence of who he is and to see how we can depend upon him. Let's pray. Father, we thank you tonight for your goodness in our lives. We thank you so much for the word of God. And we are in a process right now, Father, of doing what your word tells us to do, to renew our minds to who you really are and what you're really like. Holy Spirit, you've been given to us to open the eyes of our understanding that we may see him. You've been given to us to reveal to us those things that are in God's heart towards us that our eyes have not seen and our ears have not heard, nor has it entered into our heart yet. You have a purpose in our lives to do that. And so we call upon you to take the things that we have shared tonight that have come forth from your word by the unction of of your spirit and make them alive within each one of us. For Father, the desire of your heart is that we would know you as you really are. Help us to tear down those strongholds and those imaginations that exalt themselves against knowing you. That we may receive that revelation that your son had and we may trust you the way he trusted you. And for that grace, we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen and amen.